0: Well, it is a huge pleasure for me to be here with you guys. My name is Barrett Harkins, as previously said. I am a member of the class of 01, so very long ago. You know, I think this is actually the first time that I've been in this room since I graduated. And as such, it's probably the first time that I walked in this room not concerned about who I might be able to date for those of you who are worried as to whether or not the relevance of today's message will help you get married, I apologize. It probably won't. Although I will say I did find my wife on the missions field, so maybe, just maybe. I have a little video to share with you. As said, um, I uh, am the National Campus Director for Crew in Sweden. How many of you know that IKEA is a Swedish company? All right, okay, good. Well, this will be relevant to you then, so go ahead and, go ahead and play the video.
1: You know... Once in a while, something comes along that changes the way we live. A device so simple and intuitive, using it feels almost familiar. Introducing the 2015 IKEA Catalog. It's not a digital book or an e-book. It's a book book. The first thing to note is no cables, not even a power cable. The 2015 IKEA catalog comes fully charged and the battery life is eternal. The interface is 7.5 by 8 inches but can expand to 15 by 8 inches. The navigation is based on tactile touch technology that you can actually feel. Content comes pre installed via 328 high definition pages of inspiring and furnishing ideas. To start browsing, simply touch and grab. Right to left to move forwards. Left to right to move backwards. Notice something else? That's right, no lag. Each crystal clear page loads instantaneously, no matter how fast you scroll. If you want to get a quick overview, just hold it in the palm of your hand, and using just your thumb, speed browse the content. If you find something you want to save for later, you can simply bookmark it. And even if you close the application, you can easily find a bookmark again. Amazing. What about multiple users? For that we've introduced a simple color coding system to avoid confusion. If you want to share a particularly inspiring item, you literally share it. Another special feature is password protection, which is voice activated. Excuse me, that's mine. At IKEA, we feel that technology, this life-enhancing, should be in the hands of everyone. So the 2015 IKEA Catalog is free. You can download one from your mailbox, the one you open with the key. If it's not there, try refresh the next day. Or you can upload yourself to the IKEA Store and find one there. Experience the power of a bookbook. Book.
0: Now I, I know after that, all of you are going to come and just run up to me and ask me how you can join me in Sweden. So we're really excited about that. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here, actually. He says a line in there, actually, that's really interesting. He says, we believe, at IKEA, we believe technology, this life-changing, should be in the hands of everybody. What if we took the gospel that seriously? About the mission statements of companies sometimes. Right? They say things like that. And, and maybe they believe it, maybe they don't. But the reality is, is people are motivated, if they believe in a product or an idea, to share it. But somehow we as Christians are often shamed into not being motivated to share our faith. And so at the start of this Go Week, which in in my life at Texas A&M, sitting in uh, somewhere around this middle section, a guy came and spoke one time at A&M, and he spoke on missions, and uh, there was that gut feeling in you, you know, that like, oh gosh, I got to go on a missions project. So he's going to have a, a lunch after, after the service, and uh, a bunch of people were going. As soon as, the, as soon as the service was open, I ran out of the door. I was like, I'm not talking to that guy. Um, so if that's you today, well, hopefully not, but uh, you can look at my life. I eventually ended up overseas, so that's it. But what would motivate you or anyone to pack up everything you own, wife, family, kids, or single... Move to a foreign country and humble yourself to learning a culture, a language, a people to share the gospel. Uh, a real quick story for you from my life: I spent some time in, and uh, while I was there, first year I was there, I was learning to speak Arabic, and uh, I had a small—it was a group, small group of people, maybe twenty people or so—and my national director was there, and I wanted to impress him that I knew how to speak Arabic. And he was kind of wanting to know what we were doing. So I said, well, you know, we're learning to say certain phrases. And so I said, I'm learning how to speak Arabic in Arabic. I happen to have a cold. And in Arabic, there are s- certain letters. There's a kef and a kof for any of you who study Arabic. Anyone study Arabic here? No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. guess it's not an option. Uh, anyway, so all that to say, so I, I say instead of Arabic I say Arabi. And uh, my Egyptian... A teammate comes running up to me afterwards. She says, Barrett, do you know what you just said? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to speak Arabic. She goes, no, 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 no. You said, I poop Arabic. But I didn't say poop. <laughs> I said, the other one. That's not really good to say in front of my national campus director. So anyway, so going overseas can humble you. There is no hum- more humbling experience than being in a different culture. But what I want to do today is I want to take some perspective. And we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to start from Genesis, and I'm going to try as fast as I can to move us through a large chunk of the Bible to explain and kind of think about and hopefully give you a heart for the nations and for why you would want to go. And if you've ever heard a talk on missions before, it may be a little bit different than you've heard before. I don't know. But I'm hoping that it'll at least be beneficial. If it's not beneficial, you can uh, blame Jacob. This is my family. It's my wife and kids. My my daughter's name is Riley. She's two. My, My son is. Uh, Quinn is four. My my wife is Victoria. We're your normal family, right? When an American, in America, when we're a guest speaker, we show pictures of family, and we look really nice, and life is really good. See, Okay, there we are in Sweden. Beautiful place. Some more. Okay, there's my daughter. She'll gum you to death. It's my son, right? We are the classic American family. Here we go. Birthday parties in Sweden. Of course, everyone's blonde, by law. (laughs) But this is how we look most of the time. We're just trying to keep it together. And then there's my daughter. <laughs> That's really what our family looks like right there. Okay. I just thought so you could get to know me a little bit better. So let's jump in. C.S. Lewis says, If I find in me the long and greater than this world can provide, that I was made for something more, the most logical conclusion is that I was made for something more than this world can provide. Logically speaking, if you're hungry, you go and get something to eat. If you find that longing, and I think a lot of us go through life and we find that we want something more, and that most things that we seek in this life don't actually provide or hit that longing. They don't don't meet that longing deep enough. And I would argue that the gospel, Pascal, Blaise Pascal said that everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart, and I think the gospel is ultimately what can address that. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the process loses his soul? And so that in large part, that is in part what mission's about. For me, a longing greater than myself was to get caught up in this thing called missions. To taking the gospel to distant lands to people who have never had an opportunity to hear. Now I live in Western Europe. Most people think that Western Europe has been completely touched with the gospel on maps, that's the way it looks. The reality is, is I live in a country that is less than 2% Christian. The capital city is 0.02% Christian, and five churches close every month. One new church is opened. Okay, That's the reality of the place that I live. And I most of the time, the students that I talk to, when I share the gospel with them, have never actually met a Christian. Never met. Most of them are about 25, 26 years old. Swedes are a little bit older. And so they've never actually met a Christian. They, they, they can't even reject the gospel. Because they've never actually heard it. And so that's, a lot of the world is like that. When I was on staff in Central Asia, and I've I've served the Lord on four continents, and I've met people like that all over the world. There's a huge job to be done. But let's start from the beginning. Genesis, good place to start. What is the foundation for why anyone would share the gospel, whether it be next door, whether it be in this city or the next city, Brian, or whether it be in this state or in this country or beyond, why would anyone share the gospel? We tend to think it's an idea of, well, you know, people need to hear. Yeah, that, that's true. People do. But then I want to I I hit on this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God says... Let us make man in our image. The fact that we are made in the image of God is the foundation for why we would care about anyone. For why we would do good things. With an, when an atheist does good things, it's great that they do it, but they don't have a foundation for which to stand on it. But when we do good things, and when we share with other people, it's because they're made in the image of God. They bear his image. They have an ability to love an ability to create in some, they have a creative aspect to them, and on and on and on. So when I'm nice to a person who is the attendant at a gas station, it's not because I should be nice, but it's because that person is made in the image of God, regardless of their belief, that they have value, that is more than the animals, and is more value than I could place on it, because they bear God's image. And from this foundation, is the foundation for why anyone would share the gospel. But, of course, something happens. And I think that this is where we find most of the world today. And I think it's a really interesting thing for us to think about. So, now the serpent, this is the fall, right? So we have the creation made in God's image. And then the fall happens. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch, from, or touch it, or you will die. Not exactly what God said. We could go through the doubt that enters in here. But in the end, what happens? The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. What I want to focus here is this. Satan says, God knows that when you take it, you'll know good and evil. It was the knowledge of the tree of the fruit of good and evil. Now, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I was in church all the time. And I used to think that that meant, like, God was trying to hide knowledge of good and evil from us, that he was kind of playing this, like, trickster game. And he's like, haha, I just, I don't want you to know it. And as you look at the, the Hebrew and commentaries on this, I, I think one of the best explanations of this is, is this. God set one limit on man. He said, I don't want you to eat from this one. But man said, wait a second. I want to decide for myself what is good and evil. And essentially, that is what happens to Eve and to Adam. They decide, I don't want to have God tell me what's good and evil and have his wisdom I want to decide what's right for me. Boy, that's a refrain that we hear a lot today, isn't it, in our world? Don't tell me what's right and wrong. I'll decide what's right and wrong. That may be your way, but this is my way. And we're caught up in the same sin. We think that we've kind of developed these new sins and everything else. I don't think so. I think the sin that humanity is caught up in today is the same thing that's been going on since the beginning of time. It's that man decide I want to reach myself and decide. So I want you to continue to think of that as we talk about this. Man reaching up. Okay? So then what happens? Adam to Noah. We're going to cover that real quick. It just gets increasingly worse. How many people saw Noah the movie? Okay. You know, I, I did this talk to, a, to another uh, group a couple of weeks ago, or a couple days ago, and I, no one had seen the movie. I was really surprised. Not a popular movie at all, apparently. So, okay, in that movie, it, it becomes evidently clear that people got really bad, okay? That's really what we want Progressively worse. That man kept deciding, uh uh-uh, I'm gonna decide for myself and harden his heart and harden his heart and harden his heart until God says, I'm gonna destroy it all. And so he destroys it all. But in chapter 11 of Genesis comes the Tower of Babel. Now, remember what had just happened. The entire world had been covered in water. And so man is in one central location with one language and decides to build a tower. Interesting. A really tall tower. Interesting again. What is man doing? I don't want God to say what's right and wrong. I'm going to beat God at his own game just in case he decides to flood this world again. I know that rainbow thing, but I really don't believe it. So I'm going to build a tower higher than God could, could flood the waters, so that if anything should happen, we can, we can go up there. And we can be safe. So now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, which in the Bible, coincidentally, it's always bad when when people go east. That they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The command to man was to be fruitful and multiply, to go into this earth and subdue it. And you have man collectively staying put. And so the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And in the mercy of God, what happens? God disperses them. They get scattered abroad. They can't communicate, and they have to go. What you see in this picture is you see man again reaching up. I will decide my way, and God says, here's what I'm going to do. In my mercy, because I don't want you basically to destroy yourself, I'm going to scatter you all over the face of the earth, okay? And God scatters them all over the face of the earth, mixes up their languages, and what we're going to see in just a second is with Jesus, God reverses that. He takes the languages and he's going to unite. So man was united in one purpose, in and of himself, in in rejecting God, and with through Jesus, what God is going to do is God is going to take the many languages and make one people. I think it's a beautiful picture that throughout history, God has been actively seeking to reverse and to achieve the very thing man wants to do, but he says, you've got to do it my way. So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, then what happens? What happens? All this history happens, Israel ends up in Egypt, they're slaves for 400 years, and God comes to Moses. Now Israel was, a, they worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were in Israel for 400 years, and they didn't really have a whole lot of interaction with this God during that, during that time. And there were gods around them, There were poser gods, so there was a God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the fields, God of all these different things that Egypt worshipped, and that had seeped into Israel a little bit. But God decides, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to put you in this new place. And so what he does is he comes to Moses, and he says, I want you to go to my people. And in chapter 3 of Exodus, he introduces himself. So Moses says to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? All the other gods around them had names. And they didn't know, he was just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what they knew him as. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I I want to break this apart really quick. I am who I am is the way that God introduces himself. What he's doing here is he's saying, look, in contradistinction to all those other gods, I am is, it's really hard to translate in the Hebrew, but it means I exist. And so he establishes him not as this, hey, I'm going to tell you about myself, but just, I am. They don't exist. I am. And then he says, you, God says to Moses, I am has sent me. Tell them I am has sent me. Translated in Hebrew means he is. And every other place that you see this in the Bible, it's, it's, it's translated L-O-R-D, Lord, with a capital. And this is how Israel refers to God. He is. So when they are talking to other nations... When they say, "Who is this God?" He is. It is a picture of this God who exists, as opposed to all the other gods. And so He sends them to Him. He says, "I am the I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob." Stay with me here because relevance is just a short moment away. There's a lot of heavy stuff. But before I go a little further, so what happens? So then Israel comes out, they establish this relationship, lots of topsy-turvy things. They wander around in the desert for 40 years. They're about to come into the promised land as God has chosen, and he's going to deliver them. And then all of a sudden, this really strange story pops up about a prostitute named Rahab. And you can kind of see the strategic importance of it. Okay, if you know the story, she's in Jericho, the spies go to her, she saves the spies, And so they're able to go back and they go in. But even if the spies had been caught, God could have delivered them. God could have won the battle. Why, out of all of the stories of the Bible, did God say and inspire Joshua to say, I'm going to record this one? I find it really perplexing. Well, something happens. When the spies come to Rahab, she hides them. But she says, look, here's why I'm hiding you. We've heard what your God has done. So what God has done for his people, the relationship I am has established with these people, they've heard about it. It's gone before them. And she's afraid because they parted the Red Sea. News traveled. We say, your people, we're seeing these millions of people, they walked across on dry land. I'm a little concerned about that. Your God has power. Remember, I am, he is. Their gods didn't do that for them. What else happens? The two kings of the Amorites were completely destroyed, and these were powerful kings. And she says, our hearts melted. We were afraid. Solomon says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is the wisdom that we look at. We try to water down this idea that the fear of the Lord is kind of a fear of God. No, it's a fear of God. He's big. He can crush you. The good news of the gospel is that he doesn't. Over time, we've seen, we've come to know that God. But the reality is, and at this point, she says, we're afraid. God's faithfulness to Israel saves Rahab. God's faithfulness to you and to your story, what God has put you, doesn't matter what you've been through. You could have been through some really horrible things in life, but God's grace has been there all along. Rahab is a prostitute, but she and her family are saved. Rahab is in the line of Jesus. Out of all the Israelites who were faithful, who didn't screw up, couldn't God have chosen a different family? She wasn't even Jewish. But God says, I'm grafting you in, and I'm going to take you in, and my story to save the whole world through this prostitute is going to come. And so you see, I am is not just a God who is removed, but he is a God who comes and who dwells in his people and uses the stories that he is involved with to propagate his love and his care for everybody. We're going to go back a little bit. Martin Luther had this idea, and I think it speaks to us as a, a people, because the first thing that comes up in your mind is this. Well, wait a second. Um, You know, I mean, the gospel, people get upset about it. They argue about it. I don't want to force anything on anyone. And the reality is, is just like Rahab somehow was a beggar. She understood her position. She was able to save her entire family. And she ended up in the line of Jesus. And so Martin Luther said, we are all beggars showing other beggars where to find food. I'll be honest with you. I go out every day and I talk to students about Christ who are mostly, 98% agnostic. And they're not really interested. But I can't make them believe. I can't twist their arm. And I can't shove the Bible down their throat. But I can tell them about what Christ has done for my life. And I can kind of talk about the need for them. And hopefully that they would want that food as well. Or as another way to say it is, I prefer clarity to agreement. I at least want a Swedish person to know why they're rejecting Jesus, much less that they haven't even had an opportunity. I've got another quote for you. It's all well and good, but how do I know if I'm called? Who said that? Every student in this room. Right. This is, the, this is what you want to know if you're in a church. Who do I marry? Where do I go to work? And do I really have to go on missions? Because I, I'll be honest with you. If I follow Jesus, I know he's going to make me do something I really don't want to do. Right? Isn't that what we think? I remember being in college, I was so afraid that like, God was going to call me to something that just I hated. And the reality is, is that for me, I ended up going overseas because of math. I had spent two years, I, I, I went on some project, completely changed my life. I'll get into that in a second. And then, so then I decided, well, I'll go, I got the rest of my life to work. So I'll go back overseas, I'll go for two years, and uh, I'll do this thing. And after two years, came back, had an incredible time, the Lord really worked on my life, saw amazing things happen in Central Asia. And I was working for a, a software company, computer software company in, um, in Houston, doing sales, doing, doing okay. I had sold 37 cents of products, so I was doing really well. Uh, I'd been in it about a month. Um, anyway, so I, I was in Houston, and I was in traffic, and, uh, you know, Houston traffic, you can be there for a while. And, uh, and so I just started thinking, I wonder how many of these people know Jesus? So, well, it's a pretty big number of people. Um, but it's Houston, so it could be a lot of them. Well, how many of these people right now could stop off at Barnes & Noble and buy a book, and depending upon the book they bought, could, could actually find Jesus through that? Or go home and turn on the TV or talk to their neighbor. Okay, well, that's 100% of the people. I went to a birthday party of about 40 people. And every single person there was not just a Christian but was a Christ follower, completely dedicated in their life to Christ. That was the exact number of Christians I knew in, in Central Asia. Exact number. I lived in a city of two and a half million people. I couldn't ignore it. I said, what am I doing? I, I, can, I can live overseas. Some of these people won't, or, or it's not their thing, but I can actually do it. I mean, I, I'm somewhat decent at it. It's okay, I, I'll, I'll do it. I had it out with the Lord about 2.30 in the morning in, in, a, in a parking lot at a park,
1: because I didn't want to go,
0: in all honesty. I, I leave my family, opportunity for a comfortable life, it's hard in Central Asia, all these different things, and I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to go, and I went. And I'll be honest, I, I, I even got there, and I didn't want to be there. <laughs> um, a lot of things were going on, it's hard to get into at the moment, but... but uh, a lot of people were having to leave, and so all these people that I thought I was going to be working with were leaving. And so I had it out with the Lord one night um, in, my, in my apartment. I said, okay, God, I know I can go to the airport, and I can just buy a ticket, and I can get on a plane, and I'm about a day away from doing that. So if you don't change something, I'm gone. This is the real, this is the secret life of missionaries. Most missionaries have one of these moments. You think we're all like, hey, it's, everything's good. No, uh-uh. Um, this is more, more, I have more days like that than, than I have uh, victorious days, but... Um, And so I asked the Lord, change my heart. I woke up the next day, and I can't explain it. My heart was changed. People who were an annoyance to me became, I, I saw that they were image bearers of the everlasting God. And I loved them. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do to leave Central Asia. Hardest thing that I had to do. So how do you know you're called or not? Well, let's go back to Exodus. Ten Commandments. The, the Jews call them the 10 statements about life. I like that a little better than commandments. We have a kind of a bad view of commandments. But anyway, here we go. You shall not take the name of the, of the Lord. He is in vain. Okay, this doesn't mean don't cuss. That's what we've kind of, kind of understand it culturally. And this is not at all what it means. The Hebrew here translates, don't carry his name as you are going in vain. You are an ambassador for him everywhere you go. When Rahab wants to know who is this God like, what is this God like, she looks at the people. And how they carry his name it affects her understanding of who that God is. So how do you know you're called? You exist. You believe in Jesus and you are here. And so whether or not you never go overseas, you're called here as a student at Texas A&M University. Look around your, look around your class. How many of those people know Jesus? I don't know. How many of of them who know Jesus are really following Jesus? Are you displaying the name of God in a way that is the way that a Christian should? When they see you, do they see the life of God? And I'm not just talking about deeds. The gospel is very much words. We're holistic beings. We talk, but we also live. And so are you you talking to people about, does, does Christ affect your speech? Do they know you're a Christian? Here? in Brian, in Texas, in the USA, and beyond? Interestingly enough, the same language is used in a very common passage where we talk about missions. So here's your, here's your uh, hey, he finally got to the stuff I recognize. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubt, still doubtful. We always skip over that part of the Great Commission, don't we? These 12 guys follow Jesus into the utter parts of the earth, and when he left them, still kind of doubtful. We think that we've got to have it all together before we're ready to go and talk to people about Christ, and the reality is you've got to be 51% convinced that you're right. To believe something, it's just a 51% proposition. So there's days when I'm kind of like, yeah, this Jesus thing, I got it. I'm 99%. And there's some days where I've had a tough time, and I'm kind of going, do I really just believe in the Lord Lord of the Rings? I mean, okay, the king will return. And I'm like, am I just caught up in a fantasy? So I'm about 53% on those days. But I kind of got to go back and think about it and think about the Lord's faithfulness in my life. And I, I begin to understand those things. So they were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples. It's the same language. It's Aramaic. The, the New Old Testament was written in Hebrew, obviously. Different languages. But the, the idea is the same. As you go. So I would propose that for the Christian, carrying the names Lord in vain is to not go. Now I would say go anywhere to your neighbor go What I want to challenge you guys to is this that you go into all the world So remember those guys who doubted they didn't doubt after the Holy Spirit came Something changed the ball game changed But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth Jerusalem was the center Judea, surround, Judea and Samaria surrounded, remotest part of the earth. This is how the gospel was spread, and we see it happen that way. And they spread into the entire earth. In some cases, as far as India, southern India, Thomas went. That the gospel went out, and it exploded. And this is what we're called to. We live, we live the same life that these guys live. What I want to challenge us all to is to go. Specifically, Summer missions. It'll change your life. If you want life change, go on summer missions. I don't think most of you, here's the good news, most of you will not end up in my position. Most of you will not be overseas missionaries for the rest of your life. But it will change you. And so here's here's how you can be involved. Go, obviously I just talked about that. GBC here has some incredible opportunities that are going to be talked about this week. At at Breakaway, there's a lot of opportunities that will be talked about as well. Explore them. Think about it. Your parents won't like it. It's okay. They'll get over it. You'll actually come back a much better person. Pray. Give and mobilize. When I was in college, after I came back from uh, Central Asia, a group of us decided, well, we're going to start praying for Central Asia once a week. And so we met at Sweet Eugene's because that was the only coffee shop at the time. Or it was one of two. It's, I know, it's like so hard for you guys to imagine this the, the, the scant world that I lived in. There were only two free birds, people. Two! My life was horrible. Uh, anyway, you can pray. So we met together and we prayed for Central Asia. You can give, obviously, and you can mobilize. You can get others to go. But here's the thing. If you don't go, I can promise you the other three probably won't happen. At least to the degree that you think they will. So I just want to challenge you, Go. Go, go, go. So, what's in it for me? Participating in God's plan brings joy. You can't outgive God, it's impossible. I've tried. And the more that I live for Him, the more satisfaction in life I get. Notice I do not say, though, the easier it gets. It gets significantly harder. But anytime you climb a mountain at the peak, there is great joy. It opens your heart in ways that you never thought could. You learn another language, you earn another soul. This is a proverb that changed my perspective on learning a language that an Afghan friend of mine said. Wrapped up in language is so much more, so much more than just words. You find a people, you find their humor, and you find their struggle. You find what they care about. So language, believe it or not, Jesus had to learn Aramaic. He didn't just come out of the womb, you know, speaking fluently. He actually had to learn it. I think there's that process that God uses cross-cultural ministry. It makes it real. I don't have time to go into this. So I'll just suffice it to say, reading the Bible has never been more alive to me than being in a place. All of those big theological questions that I was so concerned about in college went right out the window. Predestination, all of a sudden I understood this incredible thing written to people who are really suffering. Because when you're suffering, it really helps to know that someone chose you. That it was the anchor. And all of a sudden, it became so real to me in a way, and it continues to do so. Because I'm challenged to look at it in different ways. My Swedish brothers and sisters, they show me things all the time that I'm like, wow, I totally missed that. Image bearers' lives hang in the balance. I don't know of another way to really put that. But in order to... Any good, great journey starts with the end in mind. And so this is what I want to close with. Revelation. The picture that we have of when Jesus conquers all. And how we, as the participants in his kingdom, are involved in that. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty, mighty peals of thunder. Yeah, that's it. I thought it said pearls. Uh, crying out. <laughs> Pearls of thunder. I don't even know what that would be. Uh, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. The Lamb is Jesus. The bride is His church that encompasses all those who believe. Is that we got the the primary picture that God poses to us for a relationship corporately as the church is that of a bride. Maybe this is the relevance of those who want to know how how this is going to help you get married, but that's it: is that we will stand with him someday in a huge celebration. And if you've ever been to a a wedding celebration outside of the United States, they are massive; they're a big deal. They go on. I mean, in, in Sweden they go on for hours. In Central Asia they go on for days. It's a big deal, and everybody breaks out and celebrates. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, far be it from me to keep anyone from that invitation. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We don't have to look far in the world today to know that there are some things that are not right. ISIS, Ebola, and a host of other things. Our world is broken. My desire, the scripture for my life, Ephesians six nineteen. Pray for me also, brethren, that every time I open my mouth, I may boldly profess what is the mystery of Jesus Christ, for which I am ambassador in chains. I want as many people who bear his image, to stand that day in front of him in worship at that feast because he is making all things new. The next time you're frustrated with part of the way that this world works, I want you to cry out for that Savior, but then I also want you to ask, what is my role in making that Savior known? For me, it comes down to this. Why do I stay in Sweden? Why have I endured some of the difficulties that we have? Because Oscar, Malin, Emma, Edvard, Erik, Sven, Magnus, and a whole host of others do not yet know what it means to know Jesus Christ. They have not heard, had the chance to respond to the gospel. And so until I can leave someday saying, okay, I've done what I can, I'm there. I invite all of you to join us in that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that your gospel is just as it was to Rahab. It is something that sets us free. And then you invite us in to the story of how you were saving the nations. For Rahab, it was was the line of Jesus, or the line to Jesus. For us, it is that we are grafted into the kingdom, and that we have the opportunity as one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. Lord, would you convict us, each and every one of us here, what that means and where we can play a role. Pray, Father, that this week would be one that changes all of our lives in in deeper ways, mine included. Lord, that you would reveal to me different ways that I can be involved in my own home with my neighbors. Father, thank you that your gospel sets us free from the law of sin and death and that you make all things new. It's in your name we pray. Amen.